The Naked Brand with your host, Mike Leon. Welcome to The Naked Brand. So I'm just going to say this. I am a terrible athlete, absolutely horrible. And when I was a kid, I felt like being a terrible athlete was often associated with not being the right level of manliness. You know, you want to be a man, you got to like be able to swing a baseball bat. You want to be a man, you got to go be able to cut down some trees. You want to be a man, you got to do a lot of things that are associated with physical prowess. Yet now, you know, you start to see manliness spun in a different way, particularly when you look at marketing. You see ads that talk about the sensitive side of masculinity. You see ads that talk about, you know, just the trouble with masculinity. And you see a lot of discussion and discourse around what actually is masculinity. So I, as always, want to kind of dissect these topics from a brand standpoint, which leads me to the question of what is the masculine brand. So to help unpack this, so excited to invite Dan Fail, who has the greatest last name I have ever heard and has managed <laughs> to spin that last name into a very profitable speaking business. So Dan, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I am excited to fail with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Dan, we're a podcast of stories. So tell tell us your own story. Oh gosh. This is like asking a professional speaker to be succinct. Um, it's just <laughs> difficult. So let's see. Um, I'm originally from the the East Coast, from the Southeast of the United States. I now live in Los Angeles. Um, uh, I will give the, let's go Cliff's Notes. For 15 years, I worked on college campuses, um, advocating for safe and uh, productive, engaging uh, campus environments from students to student organizations. I now share my stories with colleges, universities around imposter syndrome, failure, vulnerability, and the intersection of alcohol and consent. And I do all that in an effort to create conversations that matter, because I think at the core of everything is our relationship and the ability to have a good and productive conversation. Um, and so that is that is what I've done. I, I would say, similarly to you, I also grew up um, without an athletic bone in my body. Uh, and so that's also lent me into speaking around masculinity, especially as a dad and a parent of a daughter who is my sporty spice and my son, which the apple and tree of myself <laughs> was right there. Uh, and he does not do anything athletic. Um, and so uh, I think leaning into that and, and acknowledging that there's so many different layers to identities. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of unpack that with you. Awesome. Awesome. Me too. Well, thank you for that. So I guess let's kind of start with this. This is this is the big question. But if we had to kind of put a brand around, like, what is the brand of masculinity? What would you say that is? How would you start to unpack that? I would say it's misunderstood. Um, I think it's been co-opted in several ways. Um, and it's also not a two-sided coin. Right. right. It's not leaded, unleaded, toxic or not. That is, it's not, it's not masculinity. I think... I often go back to, you know, the movie Shrek, like ogres have layers. <laughs> I think masculinity is very similar in that. Um, Great accent. Yeah, thank you. You know, uh, it's, it's it's the little things that, that we can get by. I also do a great Chewbacca and a Kermit, but we won't get into that right now. I actually um, do an okay Kermit and, and, and not a bad um, Yoda. Oh, see? See, it's the bonding that would take place. That's exactly. Um, no, I, I think 
there's just there's been so much around masculinity that mm-hmm. in in essence has been um that that's false or not true but also it's incredible to see how it's been weaponized and i don't like using that term but it, how it's been used to make uh men feel less than i'm not saying that we as men don't have some growth to do you know i identify as as literally i check all of the privilege boxes i'm right. a straight white male and like 50 percent of people in the united states i'm divorced right. so i check a lot of the privilege um but also knowing that we've not set up men to succeed when it comes to moving forward we've just kind of browbeaten a lot of men to be like you are toxic but that's that's not. And so usually when working with men, helping them understand that I'm not going to come at them in the way that makes them feel attacked. I'm not going to back them into a corner of masculinity. I'm going to help us understand that uh, my approach and that our approach as human beings is going to look and feel a little bit different and that's okay. Right. Right. So, you know, you mentioned your kids, you know, I also have two kids, I have two daughters and, you know, I think for me, you know, you know, I was always told, you know, daughters are the game changer because, you know, it, it holds up a mirror to you. And, and it absolutely has. And, you know, as a brander, when I try and think about like, you know, for me, I kind of jokingly say that, you know, I'm the male correspondent of the household. But listen, you know, there's really like nothing that they can't school me on. Right. So I guess I wonder, you know, when you talk about that, maybe the story itself needs expanding and maybe the narrative around masculinity needs refocusing. What are some of the starting points to help kind of refocus that narrative and tell that story? That's a great question. I think, so I have a friend of mine, his name's Tim uh, Mousseau, and he does a lot of research around this very topic. And if you think about the origins of masculinity, we never really explored it. Right? Those that have been in majority of power never really have to question their identities or what or what comes along with it. And so you figure men have been in charge for a couple thousand years, minimum. <laughs> so um, we've never had to discover this this role of what masculinity plays. But right, you know, right around post World War II, um, when the men are coming home, and you know, you've had the women who have, we we needed them to go into the workplace. We needed them to function as society to keep businesses and operations going. And all of a sudden you had the men come home and for hundreds of years, they've been told they're the breadwinners. They are the ones who are the earners. And so men came back and were like, all right, we're ready to go back to work. And the women were like, no, we good. Yeah. Like, no, we're here. Like we've had a taste of what it's like outside of the kitchen. Like we're good. You go in the kitchen for once. And for the first time men had to question WTF am I supposed to do now? And, and they had those moments. And so masculinity as the term really hasn't been fully like vetted, explored until probably the last 30, 40 years. And even in then, uh, when you're first exploring a lot of the the human development theories, you're looking at the the privileged of the privileged groups, right? Like a lot of uh, human development theory was created by looking at white males, which as we know, there's more identities than just white men in the world. So as, as we start to discover masculinity, all of a sudden we're we're identifying, well, what is our role in the world? Where do we fit in the world? Uh, and so as we've continued to advance in terms of granting equality, and I think we've still got a ways to go for actual equality and equity, but, but looking at that, I think we've had to struggle with this term of masculinity, which is why I said that it's really been one or the other. You are either a, right. quote, traditional male, whatever that means, or a toxic male. And I think too oftentimes... 
uh, young men, those that I work with, uh, really feel attacked as like, you're just going to tell me I'm toxic. I actually try to never say that term in a keynote or a workshop because I want them to, to know that that's not the only option. There are so There's a plethora of different terms that we can use because it's, again, like I said, it's not one or the other. For sure. Now, I mean, you know, and I, I think that's very, very fair. And, you know, definitely it's important not to generalize. And in the spirit of not generalizing, I think it's also important to, to point out that, yeah, guys have done some pretty bad things, you know, just like a lot of people have done a lot of bad things, right? So if you try and kind of identify what are some of the themes that may have been holding us back and how to move forward to that, um, those are big questions to ask, right? Because like the, the nice thing about, I can't really use the word nice and toxic masculinity, but the nice thing about terms like that is it's very easy. It's tweetable, right? They're, they're easy to say, they're easy to talk about, but unpacking them is a lot harder. So if we're trying to move towards an era of more inclusivity and more diversity, and we're trying to move towards an era where we can actually actually redefine what masculinity means, much the way that there's a campaign that I loved and uh, from the brand always that oh yeah uh, is called Throw Like a Girl. It's the Like a Girl campaign. Have you seen it? You know, do we need our own Like a Boy campaign to start throwing out those 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 tropes and start actually redefining that? Well, it, God, part of me says yes, but a lot of me says no. Okay, and the reason I do is because it's right, like that in essence could reinforce some of the negative stereotypes and tropes right. that got us here to begin with. Boys like blue, girls like pink. This is your aisle in the toy store. This is yours. So we've not, you know, as we continue to try to be more inclusive, and again, like I said, we've got a long way to go. I, I think we, I don't know that we can reinforce throw like a girl. Now, that being said, my daughter is a badass athlete. So that Me is too. a compliment because I would love to throw like her. 100%. Uh, or play sports like her. Oh. Um, but, you know, I think maybe another uh, ad campaign to look at in terms of redefining what it could be uh, is that BIC campaign with the the shaving right. campaign, the right, BIC right. razor. Um, and it really dealt a lot with, you know, men aren't just the ones at the grill, we're the ones that are also helping to braid hair sometimes. We are the ones that that are staying home to read a book. And again, it's that nurturing component to it. So as, as gender inclusivity continues to gain prominence, as it should, um, I don't know that we can do the old age adages of, of reinforcing gender stereotypes, right? And so in terms of if you had to like repackage it, to completely, you know, and I have a keynote called Redefining Superman because I think we've lifted up, you know, masculinity or men on this pedestal. And I'm not saying that we don't deserve to be there. I'm saying that we need to make more pedestals. Right. Just like thinking about masculinity as expressions looks and feels very different. And that's what needs to be almost more openly embraced is to not go back to like throw like a boy, but to just be like, be the best human you can be. Well, now that feels watered down, but what's wrong with being a good human? To showing up for yourself, for your family, whatever that might mean. You know, I agree. And just to play devil's advocate on that, like, are we hardwired to just label the hell out of everything? Like you brought up girls sections, boy sections of toys. You know, I, I, I spent a good chunk of the early stages of my career working in the toy industry. And, you know, girls' lines and boys' lines were very easy ways 
to just measure profitability, right? Like, you know, are toys selling in this area? And now there's a lot of toy stores that have stood up both across Canada and the US and all around the world. And they've said, you know what, screw it, we're done. There is no more girl section. There is no more boy section. What are you interested in doing? You know, do you wanna build things? Great, there's building toys. Do you wanna bake things? There's baking stuff. Whether you're a girl, whether you're a boy, whether you don't identify as either, here's the activity that you might want. And, you know, maybe we're doing away with one label and, and building another, but are we just so focused on just labeling the hell out of everything that it might be holding us back a little bit? Yeah, and I think you're onto something with that one is that the concept of labeling just makes it easier for us. Just like the reason that race as a bubble on a chart exists is to make it easier to, to, to put us in categories. That was all created. You know, there have been gender fluid people for a millennia or longer throughout history. We've had in the United States presidents who have been cross-dressers. We have, right, like whether that's been known or written about or not, (laughs) those labels of um, other or like of othering have held us back in an effort to create inclusivity, which is why you're seeing a lot of the fight or flight responses Mm -hmm. to, well, you're not going to take away my masculinity. Bro, I'm not asking to. Like, I'm literally not asking to. I lose nothing as a, again, checking a lot of the privilege boxes and identity boxes. I lose nothing by advocating that other people be treated the same as I've had the pleasure and privilege of being treated for now 41 years on this planet. So where's the humanity when it comes to that? The problem is humanity doesn't necessarily sound sexy enough to sell. Right. You want a label to be able to sell. To use your, you know, to come back to the analogy about like, this is the boy's aisle, this is the girl's aisle. Think about hair products. We've we've been able to break down some barriers to where there used to be like, well, here's hair product and here's the ethnic hair product. I'm sorry. Why is that? Imp- like hairstyles are different. So like, why not just have this is the curly hair aisle? <laughs> like, why do we have to break it down in that capacity? Because we broke it down by what has been defined right. for us prior, which has been what bubble box do you fit into? Are you American? Are you white? Are you Caucasian? Are you African-American? Are you Asian-American? Where, what boxes have you, have we put you in because we want it easier on us as opposed to saying, yeah. what box do you want to be in? Do you want a box? You want a circle? What about a rectangle, right? Like we, we've never asked people to truly, in essence, self-identify or self-express even though the minority uh, kind of identities, quote unquote minority identities of the world have been there forever, we've just not allowed them to take uh, ownership or to take part in the marketing, the branding, the identity aspect of whatever that sales component might be. So consumers have a much bigger voice now, you know, brought about through social media and brought about through a lot of different channels. So the rise of that voice, has that given rise to now giving people the ability to actually define that experience a little bit more for themselves and not be boxed in, like you were saying. Almost definitely. I think, uh, like you said, the the rise of social media has 100% affected our abilities to engage with companies and in essence, not only hold companies accountable, but expect them to use their weight and their voice as a company. And I that's valuable. And I, I think we as consumers have more of an ability to shape that than we realize, um, especially knowing how much weight and money 
companies and corporations put into you know government acts and bills and their right. own uh advocacy work you know are you going to go support this one fast food chain even though you know that they give to anti uh lgbt movements are you going to go support this one who signed colin kaepernick uh to you know to an exclusive deal on on marketing for for tennis shoes like where are you going to do that companies are finally i think feeling okay taking some of those stands mm -hmm. but the only reason they're taking the stands is because we the consumer are demanding a stance be made well and you know this brings up a very interesting kind of chicken and egg argument right because you're right on one hand consumers are demanding this of organizations and it's prompting a lot of organizations to put out a lot of messaging the question i always ask is is this actually coming from a, a place of authenticity or is this coming from a place of oh shit, company X talked about this, so we better talk about this. <laughs> and maybe this is a good dovetail into imposter syndrome, Dan, because at what point do you start crossing those lines? Um, I mean, let's be honest, at the bottom of every day, at the end of every day is the bottom dollar uh, for, for companies. And so those who have taken a stance, you'll see some profits rise or profits fall. I don't know that there's the answer to that. I know for me as an individual where I'm more apt to spend my money because I feel like it might make a difference. I know that where I'm going to invest in terms of like my retirement or stock portfolio, I'm going to try to invest in companies that make a difference in the world. Are their returns as good? No, but I know they're making a difference. And so that is me exercising some of that in a very passive way. Um, and is some of it lip service? Most, most definitely. I think those companies who plant their flag quite heavily and quite proudly are the ones who are the trendsetters that are doing things right. They believe it. Um, you know, and, and, and not to get overly analytical with it or even political. I think looking at how companies responded to Black Lives Matter looking and the statements that were made, was it just lip service or did they actually create systemic changes in their company? Did they excuse a couple board of directors and in an effort to bring on uh, people of color or women? Like, what does that look like? Do they have a trans person at anywhere in their corporate structure as a senior management? What does this all look like? And so you'll get lip service if you're, if you're demanding it from some companies, I think, but you can you can tell some authenticity from BS. Absolutely. Especially in a long-term approach. Give me a statement. Cool. A year from now, what have you done to back up the statement? Oh, nothing. Now I know that you're just empty words. And so you've lost me as trust yeah. for however long, which takes a long time to build back. Well, dance when no one's watching, right? And I think, you know, you brought up a really good point. And you saw this a lot. Um, you know, when uh, when George Floyd was tragically killed, there was a lot of brands um, in a very short period of time that put out anti-racism statements, they put out calls to action, they put out all sorts of stuff. And, you know, rightfully so, there were a, a lot of very prominent black leaders that came out and said, you know what, show us the receipts, show us what you're doing, show us who's on your board, show us what changes you're making, and talk to us in a month. And, you know, in a month, a lot of those um, those campaigns started to go away. And you started to see some organizations that said, we're still here and we still realize we're not getting it right. Mm -hmm. And we have more work we got to do around that. Yep. Um, so, Dan, well, and I think and I was trying to find it. But like to the same point, um, the fact that we are putting um, for the first time ever in the United States, we're putting a black woman on the quarter. 
amazing. Number one, that's that's way too long yep. To, yep. To, to recognize that. But you want to know what would make a difference. Pay black women the quarter. Yeah, yeah. And help fight that wage gap. The fact that not, not only are, are people of color paid at a less uh, salary than, than those who identify as white, but then also that black women are, are paid at a, a smaller salary rate than, uh, than their male counterparts, right? That <laughs> shows me that you believe in equity, not in the surface value of equality. Yes. Make it right. I think that's where we want companies to like try to make it right. I don't know how Bezos can make it right, but I know that the man has enough money that you could take what was spent going to space adjacent and actually like solve some systemic issues in the world. So is there any way in any in any mode of discussion that we can call what we're saying right now and and you know an advocacy for equality? Can we say that this is one face of masculinity that we're hoping could be present and hoping could be seen as a way to redefine that? Or is that just way too big a stretch? I don't know that it's too big of a stretch, right? I think it's a hope. It's a goal. Uh, it'd be ideal. I think that I would love to see some companies try. I would love to see more men open up. Maybe it's not a company. Maybe it has to be a grassroots movement. And maybe that's what we're, we've seen and continue to see is the fact that you know, you don't play sports. I don't play sports. My my kids joke with me. Like I watched the the NFL games this past weekend and my kids were like, you know, the rules of football. I'm like, I know the <laughs> rules of football. It's just not on in my house. Like I went out and watched it with a friend, but like, I think there's opportunities, right? So the fact that I want to support my daughter and all of her sporty sportiness that she does while still being a good human. I want to support my son and the fact that he does no sports and wants to get into acting. Great. I was just on set with him last week for a commercial shoot and I want to support him in that way, but I want him to be a good man or however he identifies, right? Right. It's the sex versus gender conversation mm -hmm. of he was assigned male at birth. Uh, that doesn't mean that he is going to be a man growing up. That's his journey to choose. It's my job as a as his parent to value that and to make him feel seen and loved and appreciated in that role. That's, I think, what we need more of. We need the ability to see and to support young men, men in general, that are struggling with uh, either their own identity or just struggling with opening up. Let's be honest. Men suck at making friends, yeah. period, especially later in life. It's not something that we're ingrained with. We're told that we can talk about sports, we can talk about weather, and that we can be angry. And usually we're angry at the sports or the weather, right? Like that's the emotional capacity that we as men have been told for, for so many years. And so what's been fascinating to unpack too, is that the gender dynamic there of men say they want a sensitive man, but when a man cries, it's usually they're like, wait, 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 wait I don't want that sensitive. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Like you say, we want one thing. And so we, as a society, we want a man to be strong and stand up. But if, if that's used for negative, which we have seen in some cases here in the States, like what does that look like? And I think we need to provide men better resources or tools to number one, adapt to a changing world because that's where we're at. But also we need to, I think, invest in a better sense. So almost to your point earlier, 
I worked in higher education for, for 15 years. For the better part of a decade, a lot of that messaging was women's empowerment, women's empowerment. What are you doing for your women's organizations on campus? How are you setting them up for success? I mean, and I went hard in that message, especially because that's right around when my daughter was born. I was like, women's empowerment, and I want college to be the safest place, and women are going to own a college, and da 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 And then looking back, I'm like, well, damn it, like I did nothing for the men. And I think that's kind of where we left men mm-hmm. is that we've not provided them. We created women's centers and gender centers. Now I'm not advocating for a men's center, but I think if we're going to have a gender center on a college campus that needs to include men in a space to also provide them tools and resources. And the the arguing point is, well, they've had that for 30, 40, 50 years, but the current men on a college campus or at a university setting, the current men are feeling like it's better to shut down and not engage than to actually be a part of the process. So, so Dan, we need what, a, an what would that men's like? empowerment movement. I'm sorry? What would that what would that look like? Because I, I hear where you're coming from that, you know, if we are expecting change and we're asking for change and we're asking for men to acknowledge mistakes of the past and move forward, we got to give them the tools to be able to do that. But what is what is the first couple steps if we were creating a playbook to actually be able to do that? Because when it comes down to it, man, this is all about brand. Yeah. This is all about narrative, right? So how do you, what are the first couple steps you throw, the first couple pebbles you throw in the ocean to, to get towards that, that changing that narrative? Um, one of the activities I love to do in a workshop or, or a keynote is it's, it's called the man box. Other people have, have used it and done it. It's not something that's original to me. Um, but it's kind of like, imagine a, a giant box, like I'm going to draw a box on a dry erase board or something. Uh, and so inside the box is every stereotypical male, uh, you know, just a dynamic. It's an alpha male. It's someone who's a leader. They're a doctor. They are, you know, like whatever, uh, you know, they're a player. They're like, come up with all the different things that are like the manly men. That's what they're <laughs> supposed to be. And then outside the box. So outside the quote unquote norm outside the box. Well, what does it mean to not be that? Well, it means you're a beta. It means you're a pansy. It means that you're not athletic. It means that you're a nurse. Like it means like whatever we think is less than. Well, did I change your identity as a male? No. So then why do we have to feel like you have to be in or outside the box? And so we, to help men explore and unpack that, I think in a, in a kindergarten through 12th grade setting, I think in the higher education setting, those conversations need to be in, not ingrained, but available so that we can give young boys and men the ability to understand, number one, their emotions, number, uh, you know, understand their place in, in advocating for others and being a good human being. Um, but then also, how do we as men bond? Mm-hmm. My daughter is 12 years old. And if there's anything that frustrates me right now, it's 12-year-old boys. <laughs> like, And I'm worried because my son is 10 and he's about to be a 12-year-old boy in a couple of years. <laughs> but like being able to like cut through the like, Let's go watch a movie and let me throw popcorn across because it's like, it's like, it's just some of those pieces. And some of that is the like, well, it's growing up. I would love for us to to get rid of the narrative of boys will be boys. 100%. We need to get rid of that because then we're excusing behavior rather than holding behavior accountable. Let's look at any level of sexual violence that occurs on a campus. And some of that used to just be explained that boys will be boys. It was just a party. It was just this. It, what was she wearing? And we used that rationale and it became ingrained in society culture for decades. That was harmful 
for thousands. And there was a lot that was excused as a result of it. Exactly. But in the midst of the Me Too movement, I am always going to believe a survivor. I'm also a survivor myself. I will always believe a survivor whenever they come forward. It took me over a decade to have the tools, resources, and ability to articulate that I was a survivor. I didn't tell my I didn't tell my my wife at the time. I didn't tell her until several years after we were married. And we dated for five years before we got married. Right. Like, so I will always believe a survivor when they come forward. But again, part of that was I didn't have the wherewithal or ability, or I didn't think I had the ability to share that with my friends, my loved ones, my roommates, whomever, while I was in college. Because I was concerned about the potential blowback uh, from what that would mean by disclosing. So Dan, a couple couple last questions for you, and and thank you. This is great conversation around this. We've touched on imposter syndrome, and we've kind of floated in the orbit of imposter syndrome. What role does imposter syndrome play when we talk about like rewriting the narrative of the brand of men and masculinity? Wow, there's layers on that one for sure. <clears throat> I like the big questions. Yeah. Uh... Imposter syndrome, for those that aren't familiar with it, maybe, imposter syndrome is the feeling that um, you don't belong in the place you are. So that might be a, you were hired for a job, and then all of a sudden you get to your first meeting and you say, holy crap, I'm not qualified. I don't belong in this room. I've been cast for a role in a production and, oh my God, they're going to find out I'm a fraud. It is that feeling that when is the shoe going to drop and I'll be discovered as someone who does not belong here. Um, the, when it comes to understanding imposter syndrome's role in the larger dynamics of, 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 you know, branding and figuring out masculinity, I would actually say the foundation of that is going to be building and understanding our vulnerability. So we need to understand the role that vulnerability plays to acknowledge like, Hey, you know what, Mike, I'm feeling really out of place right now. Like, you know what, Mike, I'm not the expert on masculinity. You should probably talk to so-and-so because, gosh, I just don't even know. Oh, my gosh, you're going to ask me about this? Like, what if? (laughs) What if we could be more vulnerable to say, number one, I don't know. Or number two, like, hey, I don't have all my stuff together right now. And by stuff, I mean like life. Yeah. (laughs) Can we acknowledge and build upon the fact that no one is perfect and to say that we are at a base level of sharing and that level of, of vulnerability could actually open me up to a better connection and relationship with other men or human beings, um, but to be able to open me up to build upon that level so that, oh, Dan, like you're not an imposter. I felt the same way. I feel the same way. And it, it provides a sense for us to bond. Hmm. That, I, which is why I say vulnerability, tends to be the, I think, central point, in essence, almost the nucleus to then grow what new masculinity could look like. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So this, this dovetails into the last question and it basically takes, takes off from where your last answer ended. Go into the future, Dan, maybe go a year, two years, five years into the future, however long you want. What could masculinity look like? Like what is the potential for that? And you know, what would you like to see it look like as we talk about shaping this new narrative? Right. There's the hopes and dreams. And then there's the stunning realization and snarkiness that I pull to the table. <laughs> I think, um, what would I love to see? Pick your look pick. Like, right? <laughs> like, I would love to see, um, I would love to see men own their bullshit. Sorry for, I don't know if I could say that. I don't think we're um, regulated. So uh, let it fly, man. <laughs> okay, great. Um, 
<laughs> and when I when I say own it, when I say own it, I mean own our mistakes, own our imperfections, own the fact that we don't like. You know what? If I'm if I'm ever in a relationship again and she's the breadwinner, I'm gonna be like, great, honey, I will happily make dinner for you. Like what you need right now. Yeah. But reframing that narrative is something I would love to see men lean into and own even more. I would love to see more men similar to actors um, say like, no, what do you mean you're going to pay my counterpart? Um, So like the two lead roles, what do you mean you're not going to pay her the same as me? Yeah. Either pay her the same amount or or are you willing to give up your seat at the table? Meaning, am I willing to give up my one million so that she can then make the extra million to bring her to the same account, right? What does that look like of advocacy? Gosh, that that would be, and I don't know that it's a year out. I don't even know how long, but I would love, 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 love to see men become advocates for equity not maybe not even equality although that's yes yes please as well but an equity of can i give up my seat on the board of the directors to make sure that other voices are heard that's a checking of privilege that's a vulnerable moment to say we as a company should grow i'm willing to give up my seat in an effort to make sure that we as a company are representative of the united states what is that or, or wherever the the company might be be stationed right that's what I would love to see in the next few years is more men owning the fact that that we need to be more vulnerable. We need to ask better questions. Um, you know, I think in my mid-30s, I finally found uh, groups of people that I identified with, that I finally felt like uh, that I could be my own natural self with. Uh, and that's post-divorce. And, you know, I, I'm like, God, I wasted 30 plus years on not creating some of those deep, long friendships that I should have been creating all this time. I just didn't feel like I could because I had to have a facade. Yeah, I'd love to see us drop that facade and I'd love to see us advocate more. Um, the snarky side of me says that means the old guard has to change. I don't know that we can continue to have the narrative of us versus them. I think we need to have a of me versus we. And it's not about me anymore. This is about we as a collective society moving forward. But I don't know that some are willing to give up their own ego um, or self-entitlement to allow that space for growth. That's my concern. Yeah. Yeah. But it's moving towards. But I'm hopeful. Yeah. And I, and I think, right, like, and that's why, you know, that's why I'm employed. That's why others are able to make a difference to help define and redefine that narrative because we believe in it. And having worked with college students for so long, I know that they're capable of so many cool things outside of what we've told them that they could be. And I I work a lot with fraternities and sororities, and there's a definitive narrative for them of, well, this is what you only stand for. I love to help them realize their own potential. That exists in so many ways of, Mike, let me help you realize your potential. Let me help us as a grade level, you know, also do this. How do we support each other rather than, Mike, you're kind of garbage at at sports. Whereas I would be like, Mike, you're garbage at sports. I'm garbage at sports. Let's sit and make fun of our (laughs) teams together, right? Like I think there's that ownership that we could have, but I think too often, again, that imposter syndrome, we're feeling that we need to to almost like peacock or beef up to say like, no, I got it together. I'm a man. I I think we're starting to see that decline, but it's still there as a knee-jerk reaction. And so shifting that narrative is a lot of fun to try to do because it looks different for everyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it feels different. Absolutely. Dan, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. And thank you to everyone who's checking out this episode. And also those who are writing in with any suggestions, comments, please keep them coming because, you know, for a show that says that everything is brand, we literally could talk about everything. So send us some really interesting topics and we'll find a way to make it connect back to brand. Thank you for checking out The Naked Brand. 